Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today we're, we're going to continue in our series, Eight Hills, and today we're going to look at our seventh value, and our seventh value is relevance. And um, uh, I, I want to say a few things about relevance in a second, but let me just read the value to you, and then we will get into it. Here's how the value goes. Irrelevance is irreverence. Let me repeat that. Irrelevance is irreverence. And I'll tease that out in a second here. Therefore, we affirm the need to do new things in new ways without compromising the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I just say something about relevance real quick um, and, and this particular value. Oftentimes, relevance is equated, at least in church circles, is equated with compromise or watering down the gospel or it's just, you know, it's somehow another, it's just less than what should be the ideal of, of the gospel and what the church should be involved in. But I have to let, let you know, it's not at all the case. In fact, we see relevance as a sacred responsibility. When we say irrelevance is irreverence, what we're saying is when we as a church choose to not to not communicate this amazing truth that we have, this, the most important message on the face of the earth, communicated in ways that, are, that those who are outside, those who are far from Christ, understand. If we, when we choose not to do that, we are being irreverent. We are dishonoring God. You see, when Jesus came to earth, when he incarnated, he didn't come in speaking Mandarin in the Middle East or Russian he spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew. By the way, he did not speak King, King James English either. <laughs> or for those uh, Hispanics, La Reina Valera. We didn't speak that Spanish either. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew. He was God. He was fully God, but he didn't come to earth, incarnate on earth, and hover three feet above the ground and say, look at me, I'm God. You should all worship me. You should all bow down to me. In fact, the Bible tells us that he considered equality with God something that should not be grasped, that he shouldn't go after. But instead, he made himself a servant, took upon the form of a servant, and became obedient, even obedient unto death. So the point of relevance is that Jesus related to us humans in very practical ways. He showed us what God looks like. So that when you had an encounter with Jesus, if you go back to the gospel, when you had an encounter with Jesus, people walked away from that encounter with Jesus saying, I think I know about God better. He would tell parables, these stories, these parables. They seem like crazy made up stories, but he would tell these parables in a way for people to understand the, the timeless truth that God loves them and God cares and God gave his only son for them. It's a pastor in Washington, D.C. His name is Mark Batterson, pastor of National Community Church. He writes this about relevance. He says, God isn't, God isn't just omniscient, which means he knows everything, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, and omnipotent means he's all-powerful. So we know this about God. God is omniscient, like everything that all of us right now collectively are thinking, God knows. He knows it. Not only what we're thinking right now, what we thought in the past, and what we're going to even be thinking in the future, God knows. He's omniscient. 
He's omnipresent, means he's everywhere, right? He's not just here, he's everywhere. And that's why we're here, because he's here. That's what we want, right? He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful, he has all power, there's nothing that's impossible with God, I could say all that, but he says he's, but he's also omni-relevant. He knows every need before we verbalize it. He speaks more than six billion dialects. No one is more relevant than God. So anything less than relevance is irreverence. Relevance equals reverence. Cultural relevance doesn't mean dumbing down or watering down the truth. It's about incarnating, and here's the thing I want you to catch on, on this statement. It's about incarnating timeless truth in timely ways. It's about being the church. So relevance is about communicating timeless truths, right? Now the task of this communication has been given to the church, to you and me. We have the task of communicating timeless truth in the culture and the society that we're in. That's the responsibility of the church. And so really what, what we talk about relevance, what we're saying is the church needs to be the church in this culture. In the society, the people that we engage with, we need to be the church. And what does that mean? Is that we're incarnating to this world what God looks like. People need to have conversations with us. They need to see us. They need to see our attitude and walk away saying, I think I know better what God looks like. And that's the whole idea of relevance. You see, if the church loses its way and becomes anything less than what we've been designed to be, we become irrelevant. I used to ask myself questions about Life Church when we first started. Is um, like if Life Church closes doors, would anybody even notice? Like, would our community, would, would anybody in our community say, man, we miss them? Where are they? So, the idea of relevance is that we are connecting in this community, we are showing this community what Jesus is like. And so, the church question is, what is the church? Who are, who are the church? In Acts chapter 2, there's a great uh, picture of, of the church. It says in Acts 2.42, it says they, talking about the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to talk a little bit about that word devoted in a second. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, they devoted themselves to God's word. Okay, Our first value that we spoke about in this whole series of, of, of values that we're on, the very first one was biblical truth. And you, I said it from the very beginning that the foundation of everything we do has got to be God's word. That's where, that's what drives us. That's what, that's what, that's what focus, that gets us focused, right? And so it says the church, those, the, that early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to God's word and to fellowship, meaning community, relationship with one another, togetherness, that's the idea um, on the 4th of July, Pastor Jerry spoke about community at the event that we had. And to fellowship and to, and to the breaking of bread. And in this context, it's talking about communion, like Holy Communion, how we do Holy Communion here. Theirs was a little bit different. Theirs was more of a meal. And they would sit together and they would have a meal together and then they would talk about, they talk about how amazing Christ is in, a, in their lives and what he's done for them. So that's the idea of their communion. And to prayer. So this church was a praying church. So this early church was committed to these ideas. This is who they were. And so 
if that's who they were, then what did it look like? What did the church look like? Here's what it says in verse 43. Everyone, because of these things, everyone was filled with awe. It's like they were amazed. And everyone is a very inclusive word. It's not just those within the community. Everyone beyond the community was filled with awe as well. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the apostles were manifesting God's great power. All the believers were together. There was great unity in the church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We'll talk more about this in a second. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They met regularly every single day. They broke bread in their homes. They ate, they had communion together, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And then here's a little phrase I want us to catch when we talk about, when we talk about relevance. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So when the church is being the church, when the church is living out who the church is supposed to be, there is this, there's this thing that happens in our community. We are favored in our community. It doesn't mean that persecution didn't happen. Persecution did happen. But people at a distance look and say, something is happening over there. God is moving over there. God is doing something over there. Enjoying the favor of all the people. And then it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so this is what the church is supposed to look like. A relevant church is one that is enjoying the favor of its community and that daily people are being added to that community. I love this past week, 10 of our youth, 10 of the young people in this church gave their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time at camp last week. For daily, amen. Now, I think in our culture, we have many different ideas of what church is supposed to look like. Um, and, and we don't think about that. I don't think the average person walks around saying, what is church supposed to look like? What is church supposed to look like? You know, we're not necessarily defining that on a, on a daily basis or regular basis. Maybe you've never even thought about it. Maybe it's just never even been an idea for you. But some of you, all of, or many of you, have grown up in church possibly. You are, you've experienced church. You've maybe grew up in one kind of church. Now you're in a different kind of church. I mean, or maybe you just didn't grow up, even like me, I grew up Catholic, but just never really went to church, Catholic, you know, and, uh, and so that was my background, and I had my idea growing up of what church was supposed to look like. I had different images in my mind, so what I want to do today is I want to kind of compare and contrast uh, maybe an image that you might have what church is, and then look at what the scripture actually is telling us about what the church is, and so I think one image that captures how many people think of churches is that of a movie theater. Okay, here's, I don't know where this, this looks like a really nice movie theater, and, and, and I know that you don't think that this looks like the front of Life Church either, so I, I, I get that, but we think of it as a movie theater, right? And what do you do at movie theaters? You go to a movie, you sit for an hour or two, and uh, what's the purpose of it? Be entertained, correct. You go there to be entertained, to, to, to kind of maybe, you know, laugh a little bit, cry a little bit. You go there to maybe kill some time because you don't want to think about work anymore. You got to get your mind off of things. You, and then when you walk out of the theater, what do you do? What's the first thing that you do? Go to the bathroom. That's Okay, that was actually true. That's probably the very first thing that you do. But then what's the second thing that you do? <laughs> Anybody? Right? You, you, become, you, you start asking questions about the movie. 
in your head, or maybe with the person you're talking to, or you, you went to the movie with. You start saying things like, hey, what do you think? Did you like it? What happens is we become critics. We become like the Roger Eberts, you know? We, we're like critic, we're cr critiquing the movie we just watched, and we might say, well, yeah, it was great, but it just kind of went really long, you know? Or the plot just it took too long for the plot to develop, or, or man, I just hated the ending. That was just the worst ending in the world, you know? And so we critique the movie, and we give it two thumbs up, two thumbs down, you know, or one up, one down, whatever. And I think sometimes subconsciously that's often the attitude that many of us have when it comes to church, right? That we think, we think of ourselves like as the audience. As the audience, we've come here. I mean, Pastor Rich is the speaker and I'm the audience and we come here and we want to be entertained. Maybe we want to laugh a little bit. We want to cry a little bit. And then after the service is done, we unconsciously, I know you don't intend them, but you unconsciously then critique. And you say, was it a good service? Was it not so good service? You know, the worship team was on, but man, what was wrong with Pastor Rich today? He was way off. <laughs> one thumb up, one thumb down or something, you know? <clears throat> I guess if that's how you feel, I just want you to be, you're not the audience. You're not the reason that we've come here. And I'm not trying to be offensive when I say these. You're not the reason we come here. You're not, you're, it's not for your entertainment. You're not the audience. There is an audience and it's not you. Our Heavenly Father, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is the audience. And we come here to worship him. We come here to raise our voices to him. We come here to make him number one center focus in our life. That's the reason that we come here. That's the reason we gather. Okay, amen. God is our audience. It says in Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word devoted is a very important word there. It speaks to commitment. It speaks to, to, to giving of oneself over. Their way of life was that of, of completely surrendering to God. In many ways, that's this, this collective exercise that we do every Sunday where we get together. It's just a, a, one more day to be able to come together and say, okay, Lord, one more day. And we should do this every single day, but at least on Sundays, I surrender my life to you. I'm devoted to you. I'm 100% committed to you. That's really the exercise that happens on a Sunday morning. That's why the very first value we talked about was biblical truth because everything is founded on biblical truth. God's word, it's about devotion. It's about when God's word intersects our life. So the idea of relevance when it comes to this is that when God's word intersects our life in very practical ways, it begins to inform how we should live. So like if you're a single person, God's word can actually inform how you date. And the responsibility of the church is to talk about how you date. And so God's word now becomes very relevant to you because it's actually speaking to you. So you walk out of here as a single person saying, okay, so I guess God has something to say to me about my dating life. I guess God has something to say to me about my financial world. You're not the audience. God's the audience. See, we, we strive to communicate God's word, God's timeless, timeless truth in timely ways. We see 
earlier in this chapter, Acts chapter 2, I just read verse 42, but in verse 37 it says this, when the people heard this, when they heard God's word in a timely way, okay, it's important, I'm using those, that, that, that language very deliberately, because there's a lot of preaching out there, and people walk out and say, I have no idea what he said, and they walk out. Scratching their heads, I have no idea. I mean, it's a lot of spiritual language. It, seemed, it sounded really holy, but I have no idea what he just said. So the point here is, I'm making is it's God's word in a timely way, right? Not just timely in a sense of, of relevance to the person, but also the right time, okay? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's the idea of relevance there. And when you speak God's word in a timely way, it actually cuts to the heart. And God begins to challenge you. And then what happens is they walk away, not so much as the audience, not so much as critics of what just happened. They walk away saying, God, what do you need to do in me? What needs to happen to me? You have to understand, every Sunday morning, this is, this is, uh, it's almost mechanical now for me. Every Sunday morning, I'm in my office and I'm praying about the service and this is what I'm saying. God, don't let a single person walk through those doors. Don't let a single person walk out from church after service the same way that they came in. That as they come in, they, their lives are intersected with the word of God and they hear God's truth in a timely way. And God, they, they're convicted to their hearts and they walk right out, not as critics, but they walk out saying, God, what needs to change inside of me? What do you need to do inside of me? I want to be closer to you. I want to follow you. I want to, be in, I, I want to be in love with you, God, with all my heart, with all my passions, every part of me, God. What needs to change inside of me? So the relevant church is not a movie theater. Or rather, a church that aligns itself with the teachings of Jesus in timely ways and incites a desire to change. I think another image uh, that we often have in our culture of church is that of a, a retail store. So I have a, a mall here. And so what do you do at retail stores or at any store? <laughs> yes. She's got all the right answers today. <laughs> the more generic answers you shop, right? <clears throat> We're looking for what we want, and if we don't find what we want, then we go somewhere where we can find what we want, right? And that's what we do. We shop around. We're trying to find the things that we want. Now, what's interesting is that this same mentality has kind of, kind of creeped into, become part of the language that, the church, that we use in the church, you know? Like, we, 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 we say this, and I've heard it on many occasions, occasions. Well, I'm just shopping right now. Like, I'm just looking for the right church. And I get that. I, I mean, I understand that. We're in a consumer society, number one. Number two, there are many, many churches out there, many churches to choose from. This, during this time, there was like one. There was the church. That was it, right? I get that. You know, there's, we're shopping. We're looking, you know. But that's not what you find really in the early church. And I'm not talking about the shopping around part, but I'm talking about how they understood themselves in relationship to the church, right? What you find is a group of people that were deeply committed to the fellowship. They were deeply committed to the fellowship. In other words, they were deeply devoted to one another. They weren't customers, Shopping, they consider themselves family. That's a very important metaphor to understand when you think about church. Is that we're family. We're family. This one says in verse 44, it says, All the believers were together 
and had everything in common. All the believers, that's a pretty fantastic feat, actually, if you think about it. That one day, 3,000 people, 3,000 strangers meet Jesus. And the next day, they're selling their stuff to give to each other and, and help each other out. I mean, there's something very unique about that, very powerful. And the idea is, is they weren't consumers. They were family. They were brothers and sisters. And it says they had everything in common, but really they didn't, right? They came from different socioeconomic backgrounds. They, they you know, they, they may have had different political views from each other. They, um, they were probably, you know, what was visible was probably they might have come from a different race. So when it says they had all things in common, that's, that's not exactly true. But they, there was a lot of differences, but there was one thing in common. And what bonded them together was who they had in common. It was Jesus Christ. And this factor, Jesus coming into our life, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, makes us brothers and sisters. We're family now. We're family now. See, the early church was known as a family, and that's my prayer for us as a church as well. Now, this idea of family sounds kind of familiar to me um, because I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been like in the lobby talking to somebody, and I walk up, uh, somebody I know, and then I walk up, and they're talking to another couple, and I'm, we're, we're like having this conversation, and, I, and then they say, Pastor, you won't believe this. I've lived next door to this person for so many years. We're like neighbors. And that was an identity they had, and they didn't realize that they were attending the same church until that morning. And now, all of a sudden, they went from they were like just a couple hours earlier, they were just neighbors. And suddenly, they're family. Family. That's what's bonded them together, that they are family. This is what we've been called to be as a church brothers and sisters. I have this family mentality with each other. We put each other's needs ahead of our own. We serve one another and we sacrifice one another, one another. You see, when you're shopping, that's not what you do, right? If I go to Best Buy and I'm looking for a hard drive and I see the last one on the shelf, even if I'm not sure that I'm going to buy it, I still grab it. Just in case somebody comes a few minutes later and wants it, you know, I want to make sure that it's in my hand. And I, you know, and I walk, I'm not walking around the store considering, you know, do I want to spend this much money on doing it? I want to spend this money. Well, yeah, I, may, I may do all of that. And maybe I don't buy it and I put it back on the shelf. And I'll put it way back in the back in case I change my mind later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know? But that's not how the church operates. We don't think first of ourselves. We think first of each other. And that was, that's what was unique, the unique characteristic of the early church, that they were brothers and they were sisters. And so I want to challenge you. If you're here and, and you're just shopping, maybe you're afraid to make a commitment. Maybe you're afraid of what it's going to cost you because you think, oh, if I commit, then it's going to cost me something. But I just want to challenge you because it's where you'll find joy when you commit. When you say, I'm in, you, find, you really do find true joy there. You see, in committing, you become a family member. I'm going to say that again, just in case you missed it. In committing, you become a family member. Um, I see Ryan back there. This past week, we, we um, had a celebration of life. 
for his wife, Stephanie DeShaw. And uh, it was unexpected. Love you, Ryan. Glad you're here. It was an unexpected um, death. She was only 37 years old. <clears throat> I was so proud of how our church family just rallied around Ryan. And I asked him last week about food. He's like, yeah, we got so much food. You know, there's churches helping out. But then, then I started thinking about it, but then I wasn't so surprised anymore because, um, you see, years ago, Ryan committed to this fellowship. He said, I want to be a part of this church and I'm going to commit. You don't, if you don't know Ryan, it's probably because most of the time he's back there in a tech booth and you don't see him. He's in our small group on Wednesday nights, my life men's group on Wednesday nights. You see, Ryan... He's family. He's family. And we want to take care of family. See, when you commit, you become family. Now, let me warn you, we're, we're an imperfect family, okay? There's a few dysfunctional parts of our family. There's a few Cousin Eddies running around. You, 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 know, you know who you are. No, maybe you don't know who you are, but we know who you are, right? <laughs> but that's part of being a family, right? That's part of being a family. So we're all in this together. So if you've just been shopping around, can I invite you to step over that line and make a commitment? Say, I'm in. I'm in. You see, <clears throat> we need you. I, see, you might think I'm saying this because we want you to, you know, you, we want you to be a, a cog in this, we, in this big wheel of, you know, f making sure Life Church runs. But we need you in other ways. We need your presence. We need your spirit. We need your heart. We need your attitude. We need the gifts and talents that you bring to the table. There's people in this place right now that are limping along, and you coming along might just very well be the person that can help them stand up straight. And that's why we need you to commit. That's why we need you to say, yes, I'm in. I'm going to join a life group. Yes, I'm in. I'm going to serve on the serve team. Yes, I'm in. I'm going to let God use the gifts and talents that I've been given for his kingdom, for his purpose, so that others might be here and, and so that others might find life and be here and, and, and grow in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. Amen? You see, what we need is people that, that won't just shop and take. What we need is people who will give. And so that's what we need. I think another image, and I'm going to try to, I'm kind of running out of time here. Another image is that I think captures how many people think is a restaurant. A restaurant. You go to a restaurant and you expect to what? Be served or self-service. Be served or self-service, yes. So not self-service, but that's true too. To be served, to be waited on. Imagine I go to a restaurant, I walk in, the host greets me, says, hey, welcome to Rich's Restaurant. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I, I just don't want to name any restaurants out there. But they, they, they welcome you. The host receives you in. And, and you're going to be seated. But as you're walking towards the table where you're going to be seated, the host hands you a dirty, dirty rag and says, Can you, before you get seated, could you wipe down a few tables? You're like, okay. So you wipe down a few tables and then you sit down. And then after you sit here, you're kind of looking through the menu and the server comes out and says, Hey, we, we really want to serve you, but gosh, we, we need some help in the kitchen. Could you go back there and help out in the kitchen a little bit? We really need some help. I, I don't think that that's actually a very good business model for a restaurant. I probably wouldn't eat there. Um, and yet, 
I think sometimes this is how we think in church, right? That we walk into these doors to be served, to be waited on. And I don't know if you realize it, but there are many people right now, and this is not for guilt, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but there's many people right now behind the scenes that are serving. They're in the kitchen cooking, they're working, they're serving kids, they're doing all kinds of things in hospitality. But oftentimes that's what we think, we are here to be waited on. In fact, these words, I often hear these words, I just wanna be, I just wanna be in a place where I'm fed. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You do want to be fed. You want to have, you want to have meat to chew on. You want something that you want to grow your spiritual person for sure. But here's what I want you to understand and what you need to understand is that spiritual growth and spiritual maturity happens better in the kitchen than at the dining table. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity happen better, happens better in the kitchen than at the dining table. And so some of you need to push away from the table and start getting your hands dirty a little bit in the kitchen. That's what it means to be part. That's what it means to be part of the church. I like what it says in verse 45, the spirit of selflessness. It says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Selfless church, right? Service marked marked the early church. And listen, we're not customers, okay? We're not customers. We are servants. In fact, we follow the example of Jesus Christ. He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, for even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, Jesus is talking and he's talking about himself. Even the Son of Man, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man, Jesus himself is talking, came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve others. So if you ever ask the question, you know how that bracelet, we have that bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? The WWJD bracelet, some of you might have one on. So if, you ever ask, if you're asking that question, what would Jesus do? I can answer that real quick. He serves. He serves. And if you're wearing the bracelet and you're not serving, you better take it off because people will think that you're serving, right? I love how this passage, this whole passage in Acts chapter two ends in verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, You know, we have a saying around here, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. And this really affirms that value of relevance. This needs to be a community where anyone can walk in through these doors and feel welcome and feel invited. The church was a place, the early church was a place, and this church is a place, or needs to be a place, where outsiders are constantly becoming insiders. I know, I get it. Like, I've been a part of church where that was a scary proposition, where outsiders were, I mean, they might be, goodness, they might be Democrats. (laughs) What are we gonna do? Sorry, that was being facetious, I probably shouldn't have said that. But the church, the true church, needs to be a place where outsiders are constantly becoming insiders. That's what you saw in the early church. They came from so many different backgrounds, so many different languages, so many different socioeconomic backgrounds and cultures and all that, and they all came into this one place and they call themselves the church. The church. Outsiders becoming insiders. People knew that they can go there and they didn't have to have all their stuff together to, be, to belong, to be a part of that community. Um, I don't know if you know this, but before COVID, um, before, you know, 
pre-2020, uh, we, you know how we've always served donuts, and now you know as we're not serving donuts. There's some some stuff going on there, but anyways, we used to serve donuts and coffee and all those kind of things. Were there pre 2020, and we would have people from our community, surrounding community here, that would walk into the building just to get breakfast. Like they would come in, serve themselves some donuts and coffee, and sit down and just have breakfast, and uh, maybe go and get another helping of donuts. I don't know, and. <clears throat> The person that told me this, when they, when they told me this, I think they expected me to react differently. I think they expected me to be like, what? Let's put some metal detectors or something at the, I don't know what they expected me to say. <laughs> you know? But, but I, my response was, yes, praise God. Let's serve bacon and eggs as well or something. You know, in other words, the, the idea is, and I know that their motivation was different. I know that, they're, I know that they, you know, that's not a sustainable process. That we want to, but here's what I do know, is that we want this place to be a place where anybody and everybody is welcome. Um, I have on, in my office, ever since I've had an office with Life Church, I've had this, this saying here in this order, belong, believe, become. And I kind of, I have it there, uh, it's, it's like an order. And it sort of describes, it, it's, it, it's up there to remind me of what we're doing here. Now, I grew up, maybe you grew up, in a, in a church context that's a little bit different. The church context I grew up in was, you come in, the way you come in to church is you come in by believing first. Um, and you have to believe certain things. I mean, there's a variety of things that you have to believe, but there's some churches will say you have to believe this plus these other things as well. So there might be a few extra things you have to believe. So you have to believe first. And then when you believe, if you rightly believe, you will become something. You will live by a certain standard. You'll have a certain way of life, certain values that you embrace, certain ideals that you embrace, and you become something. And only when you become something, then do you actually belong. That's been, historically, the way the church has, has, has operated. And in, in this postmodern era that we're in, the church has become less and less relevant to our culture and our society. And a lot of it was because there was these barriers that were up that were saying, before you can come in, you have to jump through all of these hoops. You have to cross these barriers. And so, as a reminder to myself is, Belong, believe, become is a process. You belong, you start believing, and then you become, let me explain it this way. You might be wondering, wait a minute, what, Rich? What are you talking about? When Jesus approached Matthew, when did Matthew start following Jesus? He was a tax collector. You know, the Bible talks about tax collectors and sinners. Like, it's there's category. And the worst two categories was a sinner and then a tax collector. Like, a tax collector in our culture would be equal to, like, a child molester or something like that. It was a terrible, he was a traitor to his society. And while, while Matthew is in the act, in the act of tax collecting, Jesus says to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew starts following him. Maybe Matthew was skeptical. I don't know. I can't get into Matthew's head. Maybe he was skeptical. Maybe he was wondering, who is this guy? Is he going to accept me? I know, I know the other disciples were like, Jesus, dude, this guy is a tax collector. Why are you letting him in? I mean, he is a terrible person. He's a terrible sinner. But Matthew starts following Jesus. And he sees Jesus heal a sick person. He's like, whoa. And then he sees Jesus 
touch a blind person. He's like, wow. Turns water into wine. He does all these amazing things. And little by little, Matthew begins to believe that maybe, maybe this is, he was a part of this group, but now maybe, maybe he really is who he says he is. The Messiah, the Son of God. And he starts believing. And in believing, Matthew becomes who God has always intended him to become. So much so that if you read your Bible, you read his gospel on a regular basis. Listen, the church is not a movie theater. We're not here to be entertained. We're not the audience. Church is not a shopping center where we're trying to basically get what we want. It's not a restaurant where you're there to to be waited on and served. In fact, the church is not a place at all. The church is a family. And you're invited into this family. And there's family members that are hurting. There's family members that are whole and healthy. There's family members who have a lot of resources and are able to help other family members and there's other family members that they they can only contribute the little bit that they have. But we're a family. And together with God's help, we want to reach out to this world and we want to say with a loud voice, Jesus loves you in a way that those outside the church understand it. And that's really relevance. Amen. Let's all stand. In a minute, you're going to have an opportunity to come up for prayer. And, um, <clears throat> and I know probably one of the challenges that, that I'm putting out there for all of us as a, that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ is that we commit. We commit to this family. We commit to walking with each other and, and giving, of each, giving of ourselves to each other. And in the process, this is what happens. In the process, you become who God has called you to become. And in the process, believe, believe it or not, in that process, you're going to change your mind about a few things in this world. You're going to change your mind about a few people in this world. You're going to be less staunch about certain things that you feel strongly about now, but now as you meet these other people and you start becoming family, you're going to say, oh, maybe I, maybe I don't need to worry so much about that. That's a little bit too harsh. And we're going to become a family. We're going to love each other. And we're going to reach this world for Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. Is so that outsiders can become insiders by giving their life over to Jesus Christ and allowing Jesus Christ to transform them and change them. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. I thank you, Father, that you're in this place and that you're calling us to be the church to be the church, Father, that we come here not to be entertained, Father, but we come here to worship you. We come here to serve one another, to give of our lives to each other. We come here, Father, to basically surrender our lives over to you once again. And Father, we ask right now that there might be those among us that maybe they're struggling, maybe they have challenges in their life, God, that you would speak to them, you would encourage them that every one of us collectively Lord God would before we leave this place say Lord here I am and I surrender 
I surrender my way. I surrender my will. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.